0: You know, early on in the pandemic, we kind of wrote what is now what I consider kind of a blithe article about how food carts are so much more flexible in the face of coronavirus. And this is going to be the era of food carts, right? That all of a sudden, this awesome food cart scene that we have in Portland, that's going to be what sustains. They're going to be the ones who, you know, because they don't have any indoor dining to shut down. And then all of a sudden, you had this year-long swath of burglaries, mostly affecting food carts. You had... Uh, the, the the snowstorm which shut down restaurants and food carts and then you had a heat wave which literally destroyed food carts like i'm not even being hyperbolic you had kitchens and stoves and the very metal that made the food carts warping and breaking and people literally unable to work in them because they were risking their very lives to do so with
1: 120 degree weather this episode of right at the fork is brought to you by Zupan's markets
2: you know, I don't know about you, Court, but I follow quite a few chefs on Instagram, and right about now, uh, I've been seeing a lot of chefs out in the forest foraging for wild mushrooms. And uh, you know, the great thing about zoopans is they'll save you that trouble. You go right into the market and just pick them right out of the produce section. They've got it's it's wild mushroom season, of course, and uh, they've they've been hunting or they've procured the best from the foragers and they've got nutty chanterelles, they've got king oysters, beautiful lobster mushrooms and more in store. Just pick them right up there and uh, have yourself a delight. And of course, Court, as you've pointed out before, Zupans also provides the recipes for using those mushrooms on zupans.com.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at this right now. You mentioned the chanterelles. If you like a, a risotto, they've got this really great chanterelle mushroom risotto. Uh, maybe if you don't know what to do with those king oysters, they've got this really great-looking miso-glazed king oyster mushrooms. So again, t- to your point and to my point that I keep on saying, you've got this great local food that Zupans is bringing in. Uh, but you might not know what to do with it. They help you out with that as well, with great recipes either on the website or if you subscribe to the news feed, get uh, weekly emails that tells you what's going on as well as provide some, some great recipes.
2: Always a good thing to do.
1: So, Chris, this is pretty exciting. As we all know, when you go to your local Zupans markets, you can find stuff from all over the place, stuff from all over Oregon, the Pacific Northwest, sometimes stuff, I don't know, from New York City.
2: And when we're talking about stuff... In this case, we're talking about some of the best cheesecake ever, uh, reincarnated, no, from Carnegie Deli. And uh, as you may have known in the past, they were known for their incredible pastrami sandwiches and Rubens, and now they've come back and they've introduced Carnegie Deli Cheesecake you know right in Manhattan's theater district it became an iconic spot and now you can enjoy their cheesecake and I gotta tell you it looks delicious here on Zupans.com. looking at uh, at what they have so you can order that now and as we mentioned pick it up either in-store or outside.
1: Three locations to serve you, McAdam, West Burnside Lake, Oswego, and then uh, we can't say this anymore because we've been talking about it. a great website where you can also go and do your shopping, Chris. And what is the website?
2: Zoopans.com or, of course, shop.zoopans.com.
1: is time once again it's portland's food scene podcast it's right at the fork in the heart of october with your host chris angelis from portland food adventures and i'm court johnson from kink.fm maybe we're in late october it's not quite dead center in the month but uh fall is definitely in the air chris
2: Well, also, don't forget that a a lot of our listeners, our listens, downloads, happen in from our archives. So someone could be listening to this in the spring, and we're bringing fall into their lives at that point in time. So, uh, yeah, it is the heart of fall. I was out this morning on my front yard just watching and recording some beautiful yellow leaves falling towards me. So, yeah. it's a good time of year. What are your? Is this your favorite season? A lot of people cite fall as oh, their yeah. favorite season.
1: Yep, it's easily my favorite season. I, I I like cooler temperatures. I think being a pasty white guy, uh, the, you know, as much as I love sun, uh, fall is great. Uh, I'm a big football guy. Basketball returns this time, so sports sports are great. The weather is is to my liking, and then of course. Uh, I love Halloween, so what what could go wrong in oh, fall? Oh, good!
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna present the other side of that coin. Spring is my favorite season, followed by fall, um, and of course, it's a little different out here at the coast, right? Because yeah, the seasons are just slightly different, especially summer and a little winter now now that we've got i think we've got some climate change going on out there at least since i moved here in 2005. but um and sports is good except for you know as a Met fan i haven't really enjoyed an october in a while i'm watching these four teams i'm a baseball fan and i can't get excited about i have a lot of friends who are red sox fans i don't care i can't get excited about the red sox certainly not the dodgers again and of as a Met fan, the Braves is would be blasphemous, except for my dear mother was a big Braves fan. And uh, the mm-hmm. Astros, I kind of like the players. I'm hoping the Mets can, can sign uh, Carlos Correa over the on the off season. Um, but then, you know, they were in that cheating scandal and we're getting tired of seeing them in the playoffs too. So uh, I have a, a slightly hard time right now and the rest of this football doesn't interest me anymore. Used to be the biggest champion yeah. on the planet. I don't care. So um, anyway, that's the flip side of that. Oh, and Halloween, uh, I don't get it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it's definitely you know it's it's evolved over the years where it was you know it, it definitely isn't what it is today. Even to the point where like outside of the U.S., like they they call it Halloween creep, where the you know when I lived in in France, there was this big movement because families there saw what was happening in the United States with Halloween and so they would start to celebrate it there and then like kind of the the cultural leaders of France would be like no 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 this is not a french holiday we are not doing this right and uh i don't think they've been very successful in that just because it's been it's so commercialized everything is commercialized oh bullshit.
2: and let me ask yeah. you this what is there to celebrate what are we celebrating? Right, it's a it's an opportunity. F- so for us as kids, I loved it; it was fun. But we got the shit beaten out of us too uh, on Halloween. It was kind of crazy where <laughs> I grew up in Darien, Connecticut. It was
1: well, uh, I, yeah, dry. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard. There's like special, um, and, and maybe it's not associated with Halloween, but I know in New Jersey they have. I don't, there's some sort of. I think it happens on November first. It all has to do kind of. There's some sort of like. Tomfoolery Day, where like the kids go out and mis- are mischievous, and so there's all oh, sorts mis- of like eggings and.
2: It's mischief night, and I think it's the night before, if I recall.
1: Is that what it is? Yeah, it, but it's like specific to New Jersey.
2: Well, we were in Connecticut. It was there. It was crazy. Was it there? Okay. And, and you know, so when I moved out here, and then I did live in a neighborhood where kids actually trick or treated, um, probably 12 years ago. But I would get annoyed at there were, there were 17, 18-year-old kids showing up at my door without costumes. Now, it's really cute when the 8-year-olds are there and they're in costumes. And uh, But the other part of it is, and I understand the world has changed, there's no way I would have gone out with my parents to go trick-or-treating. And now, that's, they got to be there, or they are there, at whatever age. And not so much the older kids, but i don't know here I, you know i'm always griping yeah. i sound like i just sound old now god damn it
1: <laughs> we've become curmudgeons chris is what it yes, is.
2: yes i know but i just don't get it and and where i live i haven't seen a trick-or-treater in five years and then um right or you get the occasional stray but at any rate i just you know i don't as an adult i'm just not into trying to figure out a costume to go somewhere so uh, other people love it i i grant that some people love it and that's great but i just feel like it's a license to be a kid again and there's nothing wrong with that but i just don't get it what is the actual holiday it's there for the targets of the world to sell a lot of shit right now that's all right
1: sure So, so I'm just making a mental note to uh, to uh, take you off the invite for next year's uh, Johnson family Halloween party.
2: Right. And, and when I was done with my little football statement, I th- I almost skipped this. So so I listeners were almost spared the three minutes of listening to me talk about Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> so so, anyway, so but pre- it's nice pre- to have a place to rant. Right. It's nice.
1: Yep. Sure. Sure. And, and I, I, I was just going to say, pe- people haven't tuned in to right at the fork to hear us uh, pontificate about uh, the, the pros and cons of Halloween. No, they've, they've come to hear us talk about the Portland food scene.
2: Right, and today would be a good day because we're speaking about the Portland food and drink scene in general terms, with uh, Alex Frayne, who many know as a writer for Eater. They'll see a lot of his uh, his releases over the now about openings, and of course he was. We talk about covering. Uh, a lot of the politics of food over the last year the food scene the food world uh in this podcast and he also does some writing for Thrillist and and as he mentions in this podcast would like to do some other uh writing outside of the food world and uh, so It was nice to catch up with Alex. We've been talking about having him on the podcast for a couple of years, and um, then push comes to shove, and we end up having Brooke from Eater on, and we don't necessarily want to have the two of them right on top of each other, so the opportunity arose here. We'll have Alex now and Brooke again in a few months, I hope. Um, And Brooke, if she's listening, we're looking forward to that. Um, But it was uh, interesting to talk to Alex about His craft, what he does, some geography. If you listen throughout the podcast, we, we, pepper in some of his favorite spots and the places that he's written about, and I ask him about what he's most disappointed um, in over the last year and what he's most excited about, and uh, we discuss that. Alex is a good guy. So uh, we've already probably talked about everything from Halloween to Zoopens to other things, and we should get into uh, the nuts and bolts of talking about the Portland food scene with Alex Frane right now.
3: Portland Food Adventures. Ready to break out and travel to some of the world's most delicious destinations? Portland Food Adventures has space available on two trips in 2022, to Basque Country in Spain with Chef Javier Canteras of Urdaneta. Also, if you've never experienced Italy with Austria Enzyme, join Chris for the most delicious nine days in Western Sicily imaginable. Info at portlandfoodadventures.com.
2: Thanks. We've been talking about doing this for a long time.
0: A couple of years, I think.
2: Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know why it hasn't happened. Yeah, but me
0: neither. I'm glad that you uh, reached out the other day, though. Thank you.
2: I did. Well, you know, part of the reason it hasn't happened is we've had Brooke on so much. Right. But you don't have to be. You know, you don't necessarily. Have to be represent. You do more than write for Eater, right? Correct?
0: Yeah, me and Brooke are, are only the same person in some regards. Yes, I, I do do a little more than write for Eater. I, I write for some other publications. I've been writing uh, about Portland and about bars and cocktails and just dist- and distilleries and other aspects for a couple of years now. And about so, we are now? Where might one find the fruits of your labors
2: other than Eater?
0: You know, I really need to get like a landing page together, but uh, most prolifically would be Thrillist outside of uh, Eater, and that's still going to be more um, Portland-based articles. I haven't written too many national stories in the last few years. I've been really focused on local news, but if you want to read some of my older stories, usually about spirits, those are going to be found on Thrillist National usually. Okay. Yeah, and then we, some articles on Liquor.com as well. I
2: miss Andy from Thrillist. Andy was uh, great.
0: I, yeah, were you working with him
2: when he was yes. there?
0: Andy Kriza was kind of one of my first ever editors. I, I had one editor before him, but he was like the first person who I really met and started kind of teaching me a little bit more about journalism and writing and things like that. And now he's not doing that. He's in Sweden. He's in Sweden. Yeah, he moved yeah. to California first, right?
2: Right. He was in California first. We did. I remember the week he left. We, we got together for something. But um, he's doing some... You know, he's a father now. So he's right. definitely way more responsible than when we knew him when he was in Portland.
0: I think he had his kid when he was still in Portland, and I was still right. working for him.
2: He did. But then, yeah. you know, now, now they've moved... And I, I don't, and I don't wow. know what, what drove it. But anyway, we'll have Andy on. We don't oh, need fine. to spend your time talking yeah. about Andy. But I miss him at Thrillist. And the point, the reason I thought of that is I really haven't paid much attention to Thrillist since, <laughs> since he left. So I don't know if I would have seen your stuff. It's too listy for me.
0: The, the tone has changed uh, pretty dramatically, I would say. It's a lot less tongue-in-cheek than it used to be. A little less whimsical. It's a little more straightforward in some regards, at least on the city level. So I I mostly – what's fun about Thrillist for me is that I get to update some of our articles that are sort of away from food and drink. So I'll talk about more general like date spots or places you can't miss in the fall or where to go apple picking, which I guess is still food related. But a a little less restaurant and bar and a little bit more delving into some of the other sides of Portland and Oregon
2: well, I like those sides. We used to have a segment on the podcast uh, consistently that was, um, oh my God, I can't even remember what it was called. <laughs> nice. uh, um, Soundbites. Sound and thoughts. so they were things like that, lists of great date places, best cookies, that's what yeah, they were lists yeah. at
0: the time. We I just updated them as beautiful spots in Oregon a little while oh, ago.
2: I want to hear where those are. Let's talk let's start with that.
0: Oh man, okay, that, What that's do you a, remember? What do I remember from uh that well, I mean, so we were trying to focus on some of the the less well-known spots, right? So instead of talking about say Crater Lake, we would talk about I think that's called a little crater lake.
2: Yeah, I've been there.
0: Yeah, which uh, apparently is year round is like ice cold. I mean it's like incredibly, incredibly cold. And, and it's, it's tiny. Have you been there? And tiny. You? I haven't been there yet. No, I, I just learned about it a little while ago actually. Um so I I need to go travel there. Um oh gosh. There was things like the um oh, what is it, the devil's punch bowl? out on uh, what is that Yahat's or there's a couple of Devil's Punch Bulls yeah I think there's one in and then there's there's...
2: Otter Point I think is where it is there's one of them there anyway and then there's one here right near me Uh, like I'm the closest one to it and Uh, Oswald West State Park, there's, there's one.
0: I miss. I, I haven't been, so I go to Astoria fairly often, like, uh, at least six times a year I go to Astoria, because my dad lives out there, he retired and bought a house in Astoria, uh, but I don't really consider Astoria the coast. No. Uh, I, I really miss the Oregon coast, um, I, I can't remember if you knew this or not, but growing up, my grandmother, on my dad's side, was the head of the children's library, uh, for Multnomah County Libraries. And uh, she'd been a librarian for decades, and one of the benefits of of working in Multnomah County Library is that you got to enter a drawing a few times a year to get time out at the library cottage, which was a cottage at the coast owned by Multnomah County Library that was available for its employees, and it was at Manzanita. Oh. So I, if I, you're I there. yeah, so I spent it's last time I was there was about a decade ago and I did manage to find a library cottage, but I used to go to the library uh, I used to go to Manzanita at least once a year growing up. So that's like kind of my coastal beach, which I know is also yours. So Right, and it's changed so much. I can since imagine. The
2: pandemic started. I mean, Listen. If you went out on the beach, you probably wouldn't know that if right. you were just walking on the beach. Although you might notice on a certain day that there are more people there than usual, right? Than in the past. But um, but it's you know I, I guess it hasn't changed that much. But if one's looking at real estate, then it's there's a lot of ground being broken here. I that can imagine. Out, so it's kind of crazy. And I
0: don't know well, much about Manzanita as a town. I really only knew it as the as the beach and the cottage.
2: Right. Well, there is, it's not a big town. That's one of the, that's one of the nice things. I mean, people stop in Cannon Beach because there's a lot more to do there on the streets right? than there is here. So, um, but no, it's beautiful. And, and, uh, you know, I told myself years ago that, uh, when I moved, if I could move out here. I would get in better shape, and and bo- both physically and mentally. Right, and that did occur. That's like, I haven't been right about a lot of things in life, but that <laughs> one, that one, I was right about. But at any rate, let's go. Morning. Let's go. Let's not talk about me. Let's talk about your list because I'm sure. curious, and I'm also. I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, but you don't necessarily. You don't still own a car, do you? You still to go to these places. It's like you'd have to find someone to go with or get a zip car which doesn't I don't think
0: exists any longer There's other I, companies. I couldn't even do the latter I'm still not driving so no you are entirely correct. it's actually made certain uh, the pandemic really put into consideration how um, how useful driving would be as a skill for me uh, y- you know when I suddenly wasn't able to reliably take tr- public transport safely, uh um, oh, yeah. and then you know, when the weather goes bad again when it was snowy or, or whatever, uh my transportation uh, uh abilities are drastically cut down. So you're not wrong. It it would be it is difficult for me to uh sometimes work on these more wider ranging, like physically wider ranging stories because I just don't have the ability to hop in my car and drive out to, you know, Thor's Well or Angel's so what's Rest or here?
2: Other than the cost of a car, but what's stopping you?
0: That's a great question. Well, okay, so I'll tell you the most recent thing that stopped me was I was actually planning this summer. I had actually already gotten prepped to sign up for uh, driving lessons, and then I managed to uh, break my clavicle in half. Oh. Uh, and so then I had surgery for that in June, and I'm just coming out of kind of the the latter part of recovery from that. And so um, I had to get surgery and everything. Uh and so now I'm looking back into signing up for those because I really didn't want to start driving with, you know, a still shattered clavicle. So. Yeah, you know,
2: you need to look to your left and right. Right, so exactly. you have, to have that ability.
0: Other than that, got, I don't have any good
2: excuses. I, I don't know. I, I'm one who, whenever I've heard someone in Portland, and I never heard that other than folks who lived in New York City. Right. But I never heard it until I lived, moved out here. That and I And I dated a few women who didn't have cars. And I realized really quickly, this isn't
0: going to work for me. And
2: it's also frustrating because it's not so hard once you get the hang of it. That's
0: what I understand. That's what I can (laughs) be told. And speaking of dating, that's obviously like outside of my job, the other really big, you know, issue with not driving, it would be with dating. You know, it's not the most
2: uh, eligible
0: status to be a a non-driver, you know. At least these yeah, days don't it's You week. lose
2: a lot of opportunities right at that. I mean, I would think that most women go, no, that's kind of up there with living with, no, it's not quite living with mom, but it's there, like no car, no no
0: job, no car is kind of there. I, 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 I think in I, Portland, there's a little bit more of an allowance for it. There's a little more flexibility right. because, you know, we are a city that's, you know, very defined by our biking and our public transit and our walkability and all of that. So it's never really come up as a big issue for me in that regard, at least not that I'm aware of. Maybe there's been, you know, relationships that have not not gone somewhere because of something they weren't telling me. But also, you know, I like to go out to bars on dates, and I like to go, you know, check out the newest wine bar, newest cocktail bar, and uh, even if I were driving, I wouldn't want to in those situations. um, That's
2: true, but then there's also when when things are – Cooking a little bit better when you've had a when you know you're, sure. you're further into it. Let's go out to the coast for the weekend. You've got that, and then I don't want to give away. I I, I doubt that any women that I dated, except for maybe the one that I've been dating for three years, is listening. But <laughs> I mean, there's Crown Point. I used yeah, to that, that used sure. to be a favorite. Just at a bar. So we're at a bar and or after dinner. Hey, you want to jump up to Crown Point? It was a nice late later thing to do so i'm just giving you You, this is going to be entitled dating tips for alex frame from the guy who sucked at dating
0: so you've convinced me i'm gonna i'm gonna sign off and i'm gonna after signing off i'm gonna get back on that driving lesson website and sign up for that
2: maybe that was your outfit get off right now because if uh, if i'm making you uncomfortable (laughs) i gotta get off and i gotta go get my
0: (laughs) i think i can handle it i think i can handle a little right light ribbing here yeah, no, it's I didn't our, expect that. Is, I figured we'd talk about, you know, listen, restaurants or something.
2: We will, but <laughs> it is the basis for my uh, being a – when I got out of high school, in high school – the ability to just travel and go somewhere to me—that's that's one of the biggest things. But I do understand course. Portland is different, and and a lot of us live in the Portland f- food and drink world, and you can operate that there that way, and that's great. It but well, especially you can
0: when go. you could reliably take the bus and take Uber and Lyft and all those places a little easier than you can these days. So it's certainly right. changed since since the pandemic. Like everything has.
2: Right. So, and I've noticed. When I went to Brooklyn, the Ubers and the lifts were insanely expensive. All of a sudden, is that the same case in Portland? Yes, it
0: is. Uh, my friend was looking to fly out in a in a week. She's flying out to Philadelphia, and her lift or Uber drive to the airport would be about almost fifty dollars.
2: That's double what it used to be, depending on where you're going. Yeah, from.
0: But. she 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 looked into the you know the cost effectiveness of it to drive there and drive back leaving her car at the airport would be significantly cheaper than finding a lift to and from the airport. Right. And it's of course, you can still covered. take the, um, but remember, you can still take the max for two fifty, right? You can still take the max to and from the airport for $2.50. But when your flight's at 6 o'clock in the morning, that, that makes it a little more challenging.
2: And there's also, for me, the coming home, I don't want to deal with that. Understandable. I just want to get in a car. Now I get to have my kids pick me up, which is really nice. Now that they don't get lost on the way to the airport, (laughs) there were some fun days. But at any rate, so let's, some other, a couple of more beautiful places, then let's get into the actual Portland food scene, which is what this podcast is about. Although the podcast is about getting to know the people in our food scene. So hearing what goes on in your life is something you don't write about very often, and that's the opportunity we have on the podcast.
0: That's true actually. We don't have much of a nar- I don't have much of a narrative in my writing. It tends to be very um removed, I would say. I I very rarely, if ever I don't remember the last time I published an article that was that had any bit of um you first person tense in it yeah i I don't say like you know i enjoyed this place or something like that i I try to speak from it you know not necessarily objectively but certainly yes not involving myself in stories which can change i mean there can definitely be room for that just not something i've done recently
2: yeah it may be something that you want to do someday because you know when you read what you write for eater it is it's pretty factual
0: right and it
2: is and you can tell a lot of it, you're, you do a great job. A lot of it comes from either a press release or from, you know, I read the, um, you know, the one, the article you just wrote on Meta Pizza. Oh,
0: yeah. Obviously, that came a lot from Anthony. Yes. Which was what he wanted you to say. Well, I mean, it was, you know, still... I've known Anthony for years now. We've actually been friends no. for a long time. So, you know, it was natural for him to reach out to me to talk to me about the opening of his pizzeria. I try to never work off press releases in, in any case unless it's... Usually the only time I work off a press release is going to be for an event. If there's just an event yeah. that I'm writing about in my weekly event, why I'll work off a press release. Otherwise, we we have a policy about, you know, actually talking to people, especially if it's something that's, you know, gets into the more uh robust sort of news you know when we actually are you know that this last year has taught me a lot more about like investigative journalism I mean I've written some stories that were really you know fairly getting into things and talking with people and finding out stories about uh you know some of the more difficult aspects of the industry and things like that well, of course, that's what
2: I, I wanted to hit on that. in this. Uh, so either we can do that now or we can come back to that. Well, let me Are just we, say that
0: we... Thor's Well is the one that I was thinking of. Thor's Well is in Yahats, and that's a beautiful... I, I love Yahats. It's my favorite part of the coast. The more the more wild and untamed and uh, uh, dangerous the Oregon coast is, the more I love it. I'm not a huge fan of the beaches. I like its crazy geological formations and everything you know all all from the the, i I took a very cool class in college i didn't think i was going to like it but it was the geology of the pacific northwest and it was you know all about all of our volcanic formations and coastal formations and the plates and all that and it really made me appreciate just how wild and beautiful and cool the oregon coast is so when you want to sum that, that up it's thor's well and yalhats for me i
2: wish i could find that course like at a community college now i'd love to take that yeah. course. Now, I, so and i took geology in college but it wasn't had, had any it had nothing to do with the pacific northwest
0: so this was specifically that we had a really really cool teacher uh he taught at two college he i think he actually taught at a community college but you know he would just go out to the coast every single day basically i think he lived uh this was down in Eugene, so a bit further south than. um where you are but yeah i think he was out there pretty often in that that and area the southern
2: oh. coast too the far southern coast is just abs- i haven't been there much
0: yeah i'd yeah. love to check it out sometime
2: there's there's where a car would come there in. there you go
0: yeah drive down to a uh, um that area
2: And have you been out to uh uh the joseph area Walawa wallowa, wallowa mountains not since the-
0: i was younger i went out there with my mom growing up but i haven't been out there in the last 10 years probably So
2: does Eater cover Oregon, or is it specifically Portland that you are charged with uh, covering?
0: Well, Eater is a national site, right? And we have... Right,
2: but there's Eater PDX. Eater
0: Portland is primarily Portland. So we we do do other maps. Um, I've written a map for Astoria um, a little while ago, actually. Or I updated my map from Astoria a little while ago because I do spend a lot of time out there. We have a writer who... I don't know if you know Jennifer Bright. I think you may know her.
2: I I know of her. Yeah,
0: she's a friend of mine as well. She writes um, a lot of our Oregon – she's lived all up and down the Oregon coast. She's actually up in Washington now in in the coast as well. Uh, But she writes when we do, like, seafood roundups for all the best, like, fried fish along the Oregon coast. That's her or a couple other restaurants. So we do branch out. We have Band. We have Hood River.
2: She unfriended me when I disputed her favorite fish and chips on the coast. So that—that's why all oh, I know of her. But we were friends, and then uh, and oh, I, no. Brooke disagreed with me too about South Beach fish market in Newport as the. In my mind, the best fish and chips you can get anywhere. Wow! And both of them disagreed with me, and I and she disagre- she was insulted that I took issue. What about
0: what about bow picker in Astoria? The only place that has. But you like gotta tuna. like tuna. That's you true. Like That's a very different tuna. style. It's a totally different. So,
2: yeah, it doesn't. I mean, I honestly think that the reason there are lines there for the most part is because there are lines, and and it's in a boat. Um, I think sure. if it's good yeah. on its own, there's a place like it in Seaside without the lines. Okay, and And it also
0: does tuna? Yeah,
2: grizzly tuna. And you know, I'm kind of like the Larry David of sometimes with food people I'll write them. And I don't say, listen, I know my shit, but it's just like I'll, I will say to a lot of, I've gotten into a couple of disputes with people about fish and chips because I have my opinion on it. but I wrote that guy, Grizzly Tuna, and I said, you should go down and try this. And he wasn't interested. And the same thing happened. The former guy who was, I think, the head of the guy who started, I'm not sure, the Cordon Bleu, who was the chef at, and owner of the Big Wave, he came by when okay. I was eating my fish and chips. And he asked me how they were. He specifically asked me. <laughs> and I said, I said, yeah, well, I'm not really a big fan of... Um, of uh, uh, what am I thinking of? The Up bread. Oh, oh, Panko? Panko. Right, 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 right. Jeez, my bre- I didn't have enough coffee today. I'm not really a big fan of Panko, and it's slightly heavy, but uh, I'd be happy to show you what I do like if you're asking. And he looked at me. This was awesome. And he said, when, after a couple of exchanges, and he looks and he goes, Oh, so this is chef to chef, or are you just uh-huh. a customer? And I'm like, You've <laughs> you asked me. You asked. I didn't volunteer this. People, anyway. people
0: don't, aren't used to having that kind of you know thoughtful sort of response, I feel like, for people who have such established opinions as yourself, I will say. Well,
2: one might be a narcissist if they're only expecting you to say it's great. And when you don't, they're taken completely off guard, so Mm -hmm. at any rate, so, but that that happened with Jennifer and it's too bad because she has done, I've seen some great lists and the later ones that I saw her do when I wasn't friends with her and be able to say, and I couldn't say, hey, that's great, I thought she, I I saw Mm -hmm. that she discovered, and you go to Astoria uh south bay wild fish house yeah yeah
0: yeah, absolutely and,
2: and i thought i discovered that last year and i was in heaven because like now i got a place that i really like yeah i, I,
0: I believe jennifer introduced that to me as well it might have been my dad though i can't remember where we found out about it but we've been there a couple times since it is right. really great
2: i was there last week and oh, it funny. was packed. so um them. But it's good. And then, have you ever been to the Drina Daisy? As long as we're talking about Astoria. No,
0: I keep meaning to. Every time I go there, it's either closed or something else is wrong. Um, um, Maddie Bayman, who is the previous editor at Eater Portland, was a big fan of Drina Daisy, so he was the one who told me right. about that. Yeah, you wouldn't expect Bosnian food in the middle of downtown Astoria, but there you go. Well, yeah, that's and Astoria is getting cooler and cooler. It that's is. my when I have any
2: cabin fever, I want to make a. Costco run I go up and I hit I do quite a few things in Astoria Josephson Smokehouse for one mm-hmm. um, and the Blue Scorcher uh, bakery is a favorite And I know there are others that I'll forget but. I,
0: I think Blue Scorcher can go up against any Portland bakery honestly as far as like it's pastries and things like that I, yeah. I it would have a it's a really really good bakery everything yeah. that I've had there has been pretty phenomenal
2: yeah no it's good and um it was. Uh, they ha- had it dialed in during the pandemic too. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the pandemic. Sure, that's with fun. With regard to, um, you know, I at least on this podcast. So you and I had similar missions, which was to you go into it in much more detail and much more quantity than I do on the podcast. But it was t- it was difficult to have to find some good stories for about a year fun story uplifting right, right. Stories.
0: yes i I, so, I think i see what you yeah. mean there absolutely there was a lot of stories to be had you know people kept asking me you know if i was still able to work during the pandemic because i was writing about restaurants and bars and i was like yeah you know i'm, I'm writing more than i've ever written and with more um I'll, I'll use the term again robust sort of stories these stories that are actually getting to the heart of you know, whether they be problems or solutions or movements or whatever it is that, you know, we're actually really getting into it. It's not just about, you know, oh, where's your favorite place to go find fried chicken? You know, which we still no, do, that, of course, but we also. That was
2: out the window for a while. It was talking about a lot of other things that yes. you hadn't written about. So. Yeah,
0: there's there is a lot of uh, developments that happened in the last year and a half. And All right, some of them so, good, some of them uh, not so good.
2: What let's t- let's go a little stay a little on the surface with this, but okay. what are your uh, what are some of your biggest disappointments over the last year and now coming out of it now, either having the benefit of retrospect or just seeing what's going on now? What are you most excited about now? So that's a two part question,
0: yeah. The biggest disappointment, I think the hard, if you just want to go like you know, fairly uh, I don't want to say surface level because this is people's lives and um and livelihoods and, you know, creations and everything. But when you're talking about simply just restaurant and bar closures, uh, which there were, you know, a lot of, I, I think there were fewer than we were feared. And then there were some unexpected ones that we were pretty devastated by. For me personally, I covered a lot of closures and by far the, the most, uh, saddening one to, to write was, uh, shift drinks, uh, mm-hmm. which was, um, a cocktail and bar in downtown Portland. I, I I don't tend to hang out in downtown Portland much. Even prior to the pandemic, it was never my, my scene. Um, but the one place I would regularly go to whenever I was downtown for any reason was shift drinks. Uh, the owners were fantastic, are fantastic. Uh, just a really great place. And writing about that was pretty early on during the pandemic. And I you know bought wine from them and everything and tried to help out. But they were just in a very, very poor position to maintained during the pandemic and then they were also very very close to where the bulk of the protests and um everything was happening downtown and the owners didn't want to uh that they wanted to support that one of the best ways they could and part of that was to be taking themselves sort of out of the equation if that makes sense and not wanting to make it about them, and not wanting to worry about broken windows or anything like that, but also really wanting to put the emphasis on the lives that these protests were about. And so, for a couple different reasons, they decided to close and move. So that was sad. Where are, are they? Somewhere now? No, they they uh, their family moved to the Midwest, and they are um, making aprons and just kind of enjoying a. a a quieter, easier life. A, simple, um, a simpler
2: life. There are a few people doing that. Yeah, so,
0: yeah.
2: Well, there was a lot that went on last year that was, um, you know, around downtown yes. that was yeah. bad, and uh, I don't necessarily want to go too deep into it, but I felt like the vandalism was being covered less. Than some of the social issues and they then they related to the social issues because there are a lot of people who could no longer be employed because yeah. this is closed
1: hey chris let's pause just a moment and talk about one of our favorite places to eat ringside steakhouse yeah
2: where they've always had your safety in mind uh of course they have those beautiful updated booths and spent a lot of money on their ventilation system to update it to current standards and beyond um, so whether it's their delightful outdoor dining or inside, you can always enjoy ringside hospitality, knowing their steps ahead when it comes to safely serving you a fantastic experience.
1: And of course, ringside always satisfies Chris. So if you've got something like, I don't know, a five Wagyu, maybe that's your thing. You can come and enjoy it at ringside steakhouse. Yeah.
2: So no matter what the size group, whether you're just going to go dine, as a romantic evening with two, some friends and family with four, or if you'd like a setting for a small group gathering, Ringside, of course, can put that together for you too safely.
1: Reservations are super easy to do. You just go to the Open Table app or ringsidesteakhouse.com, make that reservation, or you can actually walk in without a reservation for bar top seating.
2: Yeah, Ringside for over 75 years, 75! Standing tall mm-hmm. is the hallmark of great service and stakes in Portland. Everything was coming at you a million miles an hour. Absolutely. And coming at everybody. No one knew exactly what to do. No. Do you think in retrospect that you that you would have liked to have had the benefit of look, a larger picture and looking back when you were writing about it? Because you were in the center of some of this, and so was Michael Russell. Um, You know, a lot of the social aspects. How do you feel about that?
0: I don't know. I I don't know. It's an interesting question. Um, I felt that I was doing, you know, I mean, I rarely wrote specifically about protests and what's happening. I I think what you're getting to a little bit, and I I don't want to assume anything, but, you know, um, probably my biggest role in last year's conversations, at least in the local level, was about... Uh, John Gorham and his restaurants right because I I, I was the the journalist who broke the news on uh, that story which of course um, not because of me by any means but that story and the stories around it had you know this much greater ramifications for the city uh, you know aspects of what happened uh, with with John Gorham and his restaurants. And then what happened with, uh, Maya Lovelace posting, uh, anonymous stories from restaurant workers on her Instagram, which then turned into the 86 list, uh, which was, you you know, and a number of notable Portland restaurant owners being, um, I, I hate using this term, but being called out for, uh, you know, either indiscretions or workplace abuses or, Mm -hmm. you know, a variety of other things, some of which, you, you know, I cannot speak to the veracity of others. I feel very confident in speaking to the veracity of. Um, you know,
2: it was kind of for me. It was kind of like a. It was uh, kind of like how you read Yelp. If you see the same thing over
0: and over and over exactly. again, exactly. I think that's a good. You idea. pretty yes. much know that's a good criticism.
2: Right. When twenty five so people complained. said
0: yes, if one person right. has a complaint against an individual, there can be plenty of reasons why. You know, that may or may not be valid. When you have twenty 40 people 40. saying the same thing.
2: Right, or even a few.
0: But, yeah, so that, exactly.
2: That's the way I felt. But on the other hand, as a journalist, and I'm not saying you did this, but you have the eyes of a journalist to say, well, shit, a lot of this is un- unvetted stuff. that's just going out there. And I mean, that, that was tough. I think journalists
0: definitely were, a lot of journalists were really uncomfortable with the amount of, Un, I, like you said, unvetted, and 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 I don't want to say that that you know I'm speaking from a place of authority, whereas somebody who is speaking under these actual experiences is not, because I would argue that's the complete opposite. But it you know human beings are are inherently very fallible, and and having these opinions can be. Uh, I I try to accept. Let me start over a little bit. I try to go into any sort of conversation with that open-minded and try to understand the perspective usually of the person who is not in a position of authority right i i tend to uh want to take the side not take the side of, but be open to the voice of a worker first and foremost because usually if a worker has something to say i feel like more often than not there is a reason for them saying that Uh, But at the same time, yeah, there was just this massive sudden influx of people sharing these stories, you know, with uh, little transparency as to where they're coming from and uh, what motivation they might be having. And so it was definitely trying to kind of pick through this, uh, you know, tangled mess of statements from individuals to trying to uncover as best as we can as journalists what the truth is. And of course, the truth is always going to have, you know, somebody's perspective embedded within it. It's going to be framed in a particular way. And we just were trying to do the best that we could to make sure that things were being represented as accurately as possible and as fair as possible when it needed to be fair. Which I don't say it always does, because you will always have power dynamics that complicate
2: not only that as uh, you know in the role that you have and I've mentioned this to Brooke you have to churn out so many stories so you don't, you have don't have a lot of time no this isn't for me to say but I'm just going to guess based on the sheer volume of stories you don't have a lot of time to step back like when you watch you know the stories on the Washington Post they can sit on something for weeks and decide whether they're going to release it or not you were You know, breaking news at the time, which is kind of different kind of news, but it was new for you and Eater at the time. I mean, there's breaking news that's such and such as opening a restaurant. Right. This is different. It is very uh, different,
0: and it felt very different, and it at times also felt more important um, and also much more difficult and also sometimes not as – I mean, I would much rather – much rather write a story like i did the other day that you mentioned about anthony cafiero's pizzeria opening than i would about a worker who was abusing their staff or something i mean for for obvious reasons i would rather write that story it's so much less difficult it's so much easier and more fun but it's also at the end of the day a little less a lot less relevant um which again isn't To say that somebody putting their their heart and energy and money into a restaurant isn't relevant. That's an important story to this person and to the neighborhood. But it also just has less consequence than getting to stories about workers
2: so that's a good that's an interesting point that you make and i'm thinking now after having gone through the last year and now writing that kind of story and no slight to anthony or anybody who's opening anything because of course we love that totally um but do you do you ever feel yourself going ah fuck i don't care about this
0: no actually um because we're still working on those other stories like there is still so i mean nothing has there have been no solutions yet. And in, in, in my opinion, there have been movements, there have been uh, better practices, there have been people improving their workplaces, but we still are. I, I think what last summer showed us is how damaged the industry really is. But the industry, I obviously mean the hospitality industry. But I think we're going to continue to see those kind of stories. And personally, you know, I'm still writing those kind of stories. I mean, I'm still writing difficult stories. I'm working right now. This is one I, I feel comfortable talking about uh, because it's sort of a story in development. And it's no secret that uh, one of the biggest problems that we're looking at right now that's going to dramatically affect the industry and dramatically affect all walks of life is distribution problems. Mm-hmm. Right. Everyone's talking about distribution right now. And I'm, I've been talking to a couple of bartenders, restaurant owners, people like that. And, you know, that's the next big development for restaurants as far as on just like a practical level. And then, you know, recently I wrote this story about why workers have left the industry. I wrote that this summer, Uh, interviewed a number of people who have, you know, decided for a variety of reasons to leave the industry. And it's it's not just about people wanting to quit, but it's about this entire, you know, cultural shift, uh, a sea change sort of. And so those stories haven't really gone away. And so being able to just write the occasional opinion story is actually, I I usually look forward to it. I I, I usually don't see it as a, well, Not as many like as
2: there were back in 18, 19, 17, 18, 19. There were a lot of those. Now they're fewer and further between, and they're people you're rooting for, mm-hmm. who you know, who are coming back from something else. Which so that's always great. That's but I would I would beg to differ with you. That's one of my father's terms. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> just a little bit, because you're saying that, I don't know if you use these words, but you alluded to, like, no progress has been made. But I would say... That after all the events of last year, you've got to have operators and people who supervise who are a little more aware, at least of oh shit, I can't do this, I right. can't say sure. this. Um, so that would have just, I think that would have handled it. I mean, uh, I think that has taken care of some of it, but then of course
0: you've got people who aren't even operating anymore right. too. So well, you're right to some extent, but what I mean is not that there's been no progress made, but there have not been any. It, it, these problems are still not solved, right? I mean, how long ago was it that we, we just heard this summer about that that restaurant whose name is escaping me up in the San Juan Islands that had... Lumi, Lumi Island. Yeah, which, you know, just grotesque display of workplace, you know, sexual and physical abuse happening. Up until recently, you, you've got, you know, a famous restaurateurs in Seattle being called out for their behavior. Like, it's still... It, there has been progress made. Um, so, for instance, uh, I'm, I'm trying to avoid naming names as much as possible. But yeah, no, let's not necessarily do that. Okay, but there was a prominent restaurant group last year that was especially uh, notable for its abuses. And there was a lot of people speaking very plainly. I mean, you, t- you use that Yelp analogy. This had more people than almost anyone else talking about how bad this workplace environment was. And since then, from what I understand from people that I've talked to, they've hired uh, a number of people to come in and kind of regulate this. They've opened the floor a lot more to conversation amongst their employees. They've hired managers that, you know, particularly oversee that kind of behavior to make sure that that sort of um, stuff isn't happening. They've hired uh, hiring managers to make sure it's a more diverse work staff. So everyone I've talked to says they're actually putting in the work to make this a better environment. So hopefully we'll see more and more of those stories in the coming months. And that's, that's I think that's commendable because yes. I've,
2: my experience in life is when someone fucks up and then goes to correct it, that's, I guess it's not quite as good as someone who never fucked up in the first place.
0: But you're also never going to find that, right? Right, so exactly. never fucked up in the first place. Good, so. those, don't,
2: those don't come out, but it's, uh, but you know, it's funny. I was, uh, it's not funny at all. Uh, speaking with Andy Fortgang uh, on this podcast uh, either last week or the week before oh, wow. and something I've been thinking about and he mentioned which is just crazy when you're talking about you know, uh, supply problems, distribution problems he mentioned he goes. You know, think back to 2018 when we had a snowstorm, and we were freaked out about what that was going to do to payroll. One storm, one closing, one night, and we were in the back of our minds worried about the front of the house versus the back of the, Not back of their minds, front of their minds. Right. Worried about the back of the house versus the front of the house and wage issues, and those sort of took care. Uh, when when you could start sharing tips, that helped. But Andy said, we were we were freaked out about one night. One then night. we had a year that we were closed. And all these issues that we've never had to think about before. So, um, and you come back, I just think of it's, you know, you just mentioned uh, distribution issues. It's one thing on top of another. Oh, absolutely. Of restaurants, And I don't, we're not out of it yet because I don't think a lot of, A lot of restaurants have adjusted their menus to account for all of this shit. It's like we're getting, you know, I think we're ready for a twenty-five dollar cheeseburger down the down the road here and a a
3: twenty-five dollar
2: cocktail. Yeah. So not, but the the balance on that is, you know, a lot of people people can't afford that.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um, And it's you know it's going to be difficult for restaurants to change their menu when their menu is their identity. You know, like, look at um, Beast, right? Um, Beast could not exist the way that Beast existed. It, it could not operate as this small, you know, pre dining menu. So it switched to a, a marketplace, a this take marketplace. It still has a lot of the Beast identity around it. It still has, you know, Naomi's awesome cooking and everything. But it's not the same thing because there's just so many restaurants that just simply any sort of pivot would basically destroy their their entire identity. They'd have to completely reshape like that place did, um, which is good for them, you know, to some extent, but it's also still going to be kind of a bummer if they can't ever make it back to what they wanted to originally do. Um, it, you know, it's, it's hard for some of those restaurants to just, you know, like you said, we're not out of this yet, right? We just lost a Tala, what was that, like two months ago? Yeah. You know, like Uh, when when things were supposed to be looking like they were greenlit for everything, and then all of a sudden one of the most established. We thought that, you know, early on in the pandemic, we kind of wrote what is now what I consider kind of a blithe article about how food carts are so much more flexible in the face of coronavirus. And this is going to be the era of food carts, right? That all of a sudden, this awesome food cart scene that we have in Portland, that's going to be what sustains. They're going to be the ones who, you know, because they don't have any indoor dining to shut down. Right. And then, all of a sudden, you had this year-long swath of burglaries, mostly affecting food carts. You had uh, uh, the, the, the snowstorm, which shut down restaurants and food carts. And then you had a heat wave, which literally destroyed food carts. Like, I'm not even being hyperbolic. You had kitchens and stoves and the very metal that made the food carts warping and breaking. And people literally unable to work in them because they were risking their very lives to do so with 120-degree weather. And so then you get add-on distribution issues on top of that, and you get one of the city's most celebrated barbecue food carts, a member of the Portland of 38, you know, Essential 38 list, and this hot upcoming food cart pod that's supposed to be like the model for sustainability in the pandemic era, announcing that they're closing, you know, so Holy Trinity is closing. So it's... (laughs) some of the things that we thought would be more sustainable turned out to have their own unique vulnerabilities that are you know being really really exposed right now the other thing that uh food carts kind of bear and and uh an unequal portion of is the problem with distribution for takeout boxes and materials it's i saw true. they're up
2: like triple they've
0: yeah. doubled or tripled so it's terrible for right now for anyone to get their hands on Like takeout boxes and silverware and cups, um, things like that. But for a restaurant, you might have dry storage that you have, you know, six months worth of takeout equipment in. For a food cart, you don't have storage for that. You're probably buying your takeout boxes, you know, at the start of every week, maybe twice a week. So if you suddenly hit one day that doesn't have that, you know, they don't have those boxes in, that's – you don't have any for the entire rest of your service that day or that week, and for a food cart that's modeled off of entirely everything going into these containers, that can absolutely fuck you. So they're dealing with their own issue right now, which, again, we just didn't foresee those particular struggles, you know, early on.
2: I I think I'm not a soothsayer, and I'm not an expert in the restaurant business, uh, other than hearing the people in it talk about it a little bit, I think... Right now we're getting to the point where people were where the operators were wishing this day we could get back to normal, but then they're going to see like Holy Trinity did that man i'm looking at my numbers, I don't see a way out of this, yeah, unfortunately, even if things really get right. better than I think it's still not there, so
0: unfortunately, math doesn't gonna, lie much
2: right, and I think we're going to see. More and more of that going forward. That all of a sudden people are realizing I was try I was treading water. I was on the lifeboat to get to this day. Now I get on the boat, and the boat's sinking. So um,
0: you know, and who knows? Know. One of the things that we like to say, you know, one of the things that the industry workers say all the time, and us as journalists say, is you know, if you really love a place, go and support it, right? But that's such a, um, and while I firmly believe in that sentiment, it's also kind of a vague and unhelpful sentiment. Like, are you supposed to go? eat at your favorite food cart three times a week uh, and, you know, a, in order to make sure that it's here next year? What if you have five different food carts that you love? What if you have five different restaurants that you, you love? You're supposed to eat out every single night of the week. It's a, it's a really difficult... It's, I, I think getting to the point of all this, what you just said and what I've been saying is that the entire model might not be nearly as sustainable as we once kind of thought it was. I'm talking about the entire model dining out. And so there's that terrifying
2: cost like structure, that's all. Right, for years right. before this happened, I, I heard a lot of chefs saying that it you know, what what's now thirty dollars should be fifty, but yep. we can't charge it. That's that's what's not sustainable, is that people were working for slave wages yep. and right. restaurant owners who worked really hard, most of them we're making 5% margins, yes. which, you know, and and any little thing that happened would slice into that 5%. Any emergency it It's like being a homeowner. You know, yep. all of a sudden you need a new roof. Oh, we're fucked.
0: Yep. So, and I think uh, that's a good but, point that you made, too, is that, like, that there is a lot of villainy placed on restaurant owners because they do pay, you know, these unsustainable wages. But I think the, the perspective that restaurant owners are sitting back and making a ton of money while not working is also a very... 90% of the restaurant owners that I know are maybe not 90 but a really good amount of the restaurant owners that I know are there working themselves you know during the pandemic they might have been the only people working and you're right there's yeah. like 5% margins that they're making on these
2: right and in portland i'll make this case all day long and I don't want to talk specifics, but I know if you... No one's driving a Mercedes. No, no restaurant no. owners. I've actually, you know, i once tried to set up an endorsement for A Chef. I said, I think I can get you a, a Mercedes. It's from a Mercedes dealer. He said, I can't drive that into work. They're
0: going to get burglarized these days, too, if you do that. Well,
2: no, it wouldn't even be that. He said, "My, I'd got i have a, a, a mutiny on yeah, my true. hands with my employees. <laughs> so, and that's Portland. I know right, in San Diego effect, they're too. driving right. nice cars, and I know I went. Oh shit! We were in Spain, and those guys are driving three hundred thousand dollars cars.
0: Not in Portland. No, it's so, a good point. There's definitely a cultural sort of—I uh, don't want to use the term bias—but there's definitely this cultural push against you know that kind of flagrant display of wealth.
2: At all in Portland, it's—it's yeah. it's not only a display of wealth; it's almost a bias against success. Like if you get too successful then and you make too much money you suck right and um i don't think that's a a healthy attitude i can understand where some people who make a lot of money do suck they they get an attitude their narcissism is pretty strong and people don't like them
0: well more than just that i think you also have to look into the count that in order to get really successful in a lot of areas involves exploiting other people like it's very difficult i think in most industries to make a ton of money without somebody being exploited along that way there's in in my perspective, at least, there's very few incredibly honest ways to real wealth. There might be uh, some, but I think a agree. lot of it's are built you, on exploitation. Are you? Do you I? But just I'm not a capitalist on. either. I'm I'm you know very. If this last year has shaped me at all, uh, it's a, it's me. I'm aware scary. of that, <laughs> and I, you
2: know, I don't want to have that discussion <laughs> That's because fair. I don't think I'm very versed at it. But I'm totally. I'm aware of that. So I you know. Um, But I happened upon Dope Sick last night, coincidentally, which talk about exploitation, not only of workers, but of... So it's the story of OxyContin. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Someone else... I was just talking to someone else who who just saw that uh, recently, too.
2: And it's a privately owned company, and they were exploiting not only their workers to get out and sell, sell, sell this shit, doctors and dead the people are the victims or it's just crazy the number of victims so yeah that happens all over the place it's certainly i don't think as drastic in portland and i no, I would not it politically incorrect and i know dangerous and i've stayed away from this on this podcast because i just know where i could say the wrong thing and <laughs> that's it But I do something here.
0: It's 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 all in good. good,
2: I don't mean with you. I'm just saying if anybody. So, uh, well, but I just think there's also the balance between that exploitation and sensitivity. Sure. And so, you know, in my day, when I worked at a restaurant, man, I was 16 years old and I was just vilified. And I didn't really. I think it. It strengthened me. I really do. I don't think I I got to the point where I was like, oh, you shouldn't say that to me. And, you know, don't call me a pussy. And I just, it was what it was. Those were the days. And so um, I'm not saying, gee, I wish it could be the good old days, but there is, there, you have to, one would have to grant that, yes, there were some people who exploit people in the restaurant industry in Portland. Yet reading that 86 list, there are some sensitive
0: people here who maybe
2: shouldn't have been working in the restaurant. I I
0: certainly can't argue with you on, on some of that. Definitely. Um, and yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I don't really want to get too far into it because the actual, actual culture of the kitchens and restaurants, which of course varies from place to place can definitely be really, uh, God, I just, I hate the term toxic because it's it's almost used to the point of meaninglessness. But also like, yes, sometimes maybe the industry isn't the best for certain individuals because there is a certain kind of cultural lax to, uh, uh, people can be very profane, very, you know, ribald and things like that. And I think that some people might sometimes misconstrue that as being abusive when it's more just kind of, I, I don't know, playful or something or, or, you know, the fact that you're working until four o'clock in the morning in this totally different existence than other human beings work in, that your your attitude is going to be very different based on that.
2: And it's shaped by your past experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Someone who has been abused in the past
0: is obviously going to be, be much more, uh, much more uh, yeah. sensitive. Hey,
2: I just happened the other night on my TV, something came on while I was in the other room and it was this game show Channel from old game shows. Okay, and I walk in and I'm watching Family Feud with Richard Dawson, and I put this on Facebook. All right, he's going down the line. He gets this little girl on the end. I'm, you've seen Family Feud, I yeah, assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I,
0: I, I don't watch it, but I I, I know I don't either. Going watched,
2: I watched it in those days, right? You know, once in a while. He gets to this little girl as he's approaching her, him, her with his lips. Going towards her, he says, how old are you, honey? And and then he goes and gives her a kiss, right on the lips, and
0: backs up, and she says, 13. No one thinks anything of that, Ben. They, they, they actually made an SNL sketch a little while ago based on that. Oh, okay. Was, I think it was Bill Hader playing this, like, uh, Family Feud host, and the whole thing is just him going around and, like, kissing all of these, like, little kids. It's, it's all cast members, of course, but... That must have been exactly what that was based on then.
2: Right. And I sort of forgot that that's what he did when I saw it the other night because all I saw was this in looking at it through 2021 eyes. Right. right? As a guy who's probably older than he was then when he was the host of the show. So now I'm looking at it going, fucking 13, man. now you <laughs> no, can't do that, man. How, how fucked up is it to announce <laughs> as you're about to kiss her how old she is? Like, right, just, oh, that's let's, disturbing, yeah. Let's really yeah. pour this on. Let's find out yeah. how old she is right before I kiss her. I mean, this
0: is what you, you know, that's just the whole you know, cultural zeitgeist constantly changing, and, and, and what is appropriate and what is you know deemed appropriate, I should say, you know, whether there's some deeper objective truth there is is difficult for me to say. Um, but it certainly well, strange. I
2: think it will all change over time. You got yeah. generations change. I mean, shit, they all not to keep. Not to show my age constantly here, but you go back to the Dick Van Dyke shows when Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke were in separate beds. I mean, and now you got these shows where they're actually fucking on the show. So, uh, you know, things change. But I don't know if that has anything to do. So did you have any other... You're, we're,
0: we're approaching, and I forgot to take the break. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're, we're not going to have but, that, huh? Okay. So we're going to have the well, break. We're not going to have the, the, the 12 seconds of the, the professional yeah. break that I'm
2: talking about. But, um, but I do want to talk about some of the things. You were talking about some of the things you were most disappointed. You talked about shift drinks. Yeah. If yeah. you have any others, that's fine. But I also want to – I think it's – Great to be as positive as possible, too, and talk about some of the things you're most excited about coming up that uh, may be a restaurant or just a trend, something
0: that's good. Let's so talk about restaurants really quick. Morcella uh, opening up in what was um, verdigree and Verdigree has not closed, but it has moved to its other location, which is Daisy, which is up on uh, northeast uh, Prescott, Fremont, Right, where uh,
2: Muscadine used to be.
0: Yes. And then the place that was Vertigree, which is on, I believe, on Fremont. Oh, my God. I'm totally going to mess this up. Anyways, that's opening up as Marcella, which is going to be this very, very Pacific Northwest foraged kind of menu. So, you know, lots of mushrooms, lots of other foraged greens and berries and things like that. Super cool. Promotional Uh announcement. Go back two episodes, two to three
2: episodes. And we interview Cameron. You interview Cameron.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, you know, you know what I'm talking about then. Uh, so that's opening up, I think, like this week. I'm, I'm excited about that. I definitely need to go check that out. Uh, I am excited about a lot of these reopenings. Um, honestly, even wintertime, we're, we're looking set up for patios. We got heaters out. We got all those, you know, patios we built last year are, are looking beautiful. I'm just excited to have another uh, nice winter or an actual nice winter. Um, I'm excited about declining rates of COVID in the Multnomah County that's that's pretty baller five consecutive weeks of uh, rates going down that's great Um, and I'm excited to see where people keep taking actually I'm gonna back up a tiny bit we're gonna get political here for a moment we're looking at some of the largest strikes we've ever seen in history like concurrent strikes we have multiple industries on strike right now And I'm a big supporter of unions and workers fighting for rights. Uh, Right now, Heaven Hill workers, which is, I don't even know how much whiskey in America Heaven Hill owns, but they own a lot of whiskey brands. Bourbon, rye, a ton of those that you see in bars and everything are made by Heaven Hill. And we've got more than 400 workers at Heaven Hill who have been on strike for more than a month now. And we're starting to see bars that are refusing to sell those spirits while that goes on strike. And I'm really excited to see where that takes us because the only way forward to make this restaurant world and everything else sustainable is for workers to have, you know, their voices heard and their needs met. And then we can start to really move forward as an industry. So in kind of a roundabout way, that's why I'm answering that question. I'm excited to see how we can fight for a more equitable industry and a more equitable world.
2: I'd like to see how, how that we resolve on how that looks. I think that's a slow moving thing that yeah. it might be two thousand twenty eight where when where you and I hook up and say, Hey, that actually did work. I but hope so. Not be, yeah. There's not gonna be
0: a moment in time where we say yeah. that And a lot yeah. of people have very you know a lot of people have very different ways of how they think you know that looks. You know, right. how equity looks is different to different people and, and it certainly looks different to me than to other people and it's certainly something that I need to learn more about. Um, you know, from my perspective as a, you know, cis white man, I obviously have certain things that I don't understand yet um, that I'm still trying to learn. Try being 20, 30 years older. Right. I can imagine you know, what that feels things.
2: like when you're like, I don't even understand some of this. But you try. You do your best. Well, that's and what
0: matters, I think. That's what's Yeah, I,
2: I look at the way my, even my parents, who were Democrats, who, but some of the pretty crazy ways that they talked and things that they said. That's just a generational thing. Again, it's
0: like talking about the generational thing. Absolutely.
2: It's going to uh, change over time. Um,
0: So uh, anything else that's opening that you're excited about? That's a great question. Um, Gosh, a a new bar just opened up down the street for me recently called Midnight, which I love. It's got a great bartender behind the stick there. So I'm looking forward to visiting that more often. What's a good – what's another – Oh, we got the. Speaking of food carts, we got JoJo, one of the best fried chicken sandwiches in Portland, opening his brick and mortar uh, pretty soon coming up. A lot of places that are kind of like already existing that are now expanding. Um, mm-hmm.
2: And that's good to hear.
0: That's yeah that's
2: some success, and those
0: are some people that have sort of figured started to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Lake Oswego, which I don't go to, but you know they're yeah. looking forward to to a, a much. Better dining scene with a whole bunch of Portland staples opening locations up there, uh, cocktail tasting or like distillery tasting rooms, to fine dining restaurants, to like branches of Portland restaurants. Like, like. And you know why happening.
2: that is? You know why it's happening out there? Right? I actually the don't know. Well, I don't, I listen, don't quote me on this, but I lived out there for years and used to, when I started doing Portland food adventures, I would say, why don't you guys move this way? There's a lot of money out here, right? The dining scene could be pretty strong yep. and no one did really. I mean, I can't tell you I just laugh at the fact that Lardo's there now because right. I used to be on Kurt and Rick. Southwest, anywhere southwest, move that way. And then no one did. But I think a lot of the reason is right now, um, two things. One is there's no vandalism to speak of out there. So they don't have to, the, the idea of we don't have to deal with this shit. I mean, you look at Maurice now and it's just heartbreaking right. to watch what is going on Which with it's her.
0: Maurice. She's an she's independent little she,
2: She's the sweetest. You just love her, and it's crazy. Very upsetting. If these people knew that, but it's not only her. It's everybody has a life and, and a psyche that gets damaged when they do that. Absolutely. Um, but the other reason is I just think it's a, um, it's a known strong financial area it is. and, and there's it's all true. these people here who used to have to drive into portland to go to those restaurants i mean there's limited restaurants in lake oswego ricardo's it's the standard ones and then now they've got all they're in the they're in the what I used to call the Disneyland. All of a sudden, they've got all these choices, and there'll be more. And if going you, if you same you want thing to, with Beaverton.
0: Like, same thing. And if you want to talk about you know needing to raise prices, you might as well open a place with a you know twenty five dollar burger in Lake Oswego rather than in South Florida. Right, Orleans. and when,
2: when you're not raising it, when it just is. Yeah, exactly. That's what, so that's just the established how it price. Ends when they go. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And the same thing I would think would happen. So. Uh, just watch. As soon as I leave Manzanita, that's when the restaurant scene's gonna come out <laughs> right here. Probably so been, true. I got people ask me all the time, "Where do I go?" And I'm generally go up to Can Astoria or Newport. There's a few good things around here, and I don't want to forget them. But there's just it'll happen. Sure. That when everybody realizes, wow, there's actual residents. It's not all tourists out there. Um, But at any rate, I'm glad to see it happening for the Lake Oswego folks. And I'm so glad to see people like, uh, you know, um, Aaron Barnett, who's able to grow and expand and do something new uh, in a different area. I mean, I always thought it's the opposite of you because you're in, you know, the east side of Portland and that's your life. And I always thought, why the fuck do I always have to go there? (laughs) I like it. I,
0: I like it, but as a driver, it's the opposite of you. Right. I have to. I mean, I, I walked down I mean, it's traffic to go to these places. I walk down to Buckman, and I'm directly next door to like Canard and Le Pigeon and Baruchin and Rum Club and Scotch Lodge. It's like right. just the center of all this stuff. And Super I have no easy.
2: problem with that, but I always
0: just thought, can't somebody right. just
2: come out here so I can just go, you know, instead of Multnomah Village was the place for me that I could go. Which is also uh,
0: now also um, even more up and coming than it was when you were there. You, you know? Right. I should
2: have been a consultant. I could have made a lot of money telling these people where to go. Have you ever been? I know you haven't. Have you ever been to Otto and Anita Schnitzel
0: House? Where is that?
2: Yeah, there you go, Multnomah Village. No, it's like this old school place. That's like it's like literally you were driving in the backwoods of Pennsylvania, wow. and there was a, a house with a restaurant in it. I love and that stuff too. So yeah, no, it's it's old school. They have dill pickle soup, and none of the servers have a tattoo. And <laughs> that one usual. Yeah, no, it's you notice it right? Yeah, it's absolutely, just, totally. You notice that. And and they're young, you know. Some a couple of them are younger too. So they but um, anyway, there's a lot going on out there, and um, we'll see. I'd l- love to see you cover it, but you got to get a car, and then you can cover it. So you don't go to every place that you cover too. A lot of yours, a lot
0: of your coverage is based on what you're t- talking to the restaurant. owners. No, when it comes to bars and restaurants, I don't. I almost, with with very rare exception, I, I go to every single one of them. I I might not go to every single one of the most beautiful places and thrills when I'm writing about it, but when it comes to restaurants, I I don't miss them because that's just not – I have on occasion written about a place based on the knowledge that I I know people who go there and then visited after the fact to confirm it, but I don't write about – if I'm publishing a map on like the best pizza or something like that, it's, it's not places I haven't visited.
2: Uh, but you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily go on a good friend's
0: recommendation. But what I'm saying, sometimes, I mean, in, in, with great exception, I will use a you know a reliable friend or my editor or somebody like that. I I would, but otherwise, I really do try to 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 do my due diligence for my job and hit those places up. It's also why I write about Astoria and not Bend. You know what I mean? Because I I, I can pick know. the maps that I can write about. So. When I spent a winter in St. John's, that's when I decided to write a St. John's map. And I didn't do it prior to that because I didn't have enough experience there. When I wrote about Montevilla, it was after a summer spent in Montevilla. Uh, so despite my not driving, I really do try and be you know, as diligent as possible, hitting up those places that I write about.
2: Well, to be honest. fair, do they give, does, does Eater give you a
0: decent budget to do that? Or is that on your own coin? I'm not sure how much I can talk about that. <laughs> Okay. Uh, to be well, honest, I, I don't know what our policy well, is. I think that's
2: that. an issue because I think that would, you know, that bodes well for you right. if you right. have to pay for it on your own coin and you're doing it just out of in, your integrity. It can
0: be difficult, but, I will say. It's, it's a difficult habit no matter what, right? Because even if they're paying for everything, um, you, you know, and, and this is more about Brooke than me maybe. Uh, you've had Brooke on here a lot and she's very not the type to complain about this kind of stuff. But, you, you know, she's obligated to eat out. I don't even know how many times a week. I mean, she eats everything that she writes about, every single thing. And putting that much food in your body and with that kind of unregulation, right? Like you just have <laughs> to eat these places and whether or not it's going to have a really good impact on your, on your health, uh, you, you just do it as a writer. And I think that's something that gets kind of missed by the public and by industry workers who maybe aren't happy with certain choices that you know we make. Which happens, like, that's just going to happen. I mean, I, I can't complain about that. That's just the nature of writing maps for um, this, you know, really incredible industry and people get left out. Well, but I, so I do feel people could... don't appreciate necessarily how much physical labor goes into this. And it's like, oh, you're getting paid to eat. No, I feel so bad for you. And yeah, there's a certain level of that irony. But it's also, it's about your entire life. Your, your, your body is your life. And when you don't have any... When you don't have 100% control over what you're putting in your body, it can be difficult.
2: Yeah, no, I, I'm i aware of that. So when I moved, it was eight years ago, I moved to Manzanita. And pre-pandemic, I was in Portland a couple of days a week, so yeah. I didn't abandon no, I the place. But I'll tell you what, what happened was what I thought it was going to happen. I lost 50 pounds over about three or four years because I wasn't around that
0: all the time. That does not I- surprise me, actually. That makes sense. But that you
2: know sense. what? You can, you can still... I still have the podcast where I can talk to people, and I still get in there enough. I absolutely do not get everywhere I want to go. I just can't, and I don't, and everybody understands that, I think, because they don't. You know, one thing I learned is I used to feel guilty when I would walk up to a chef, and I haven't been to your place in four years. Well, they don't get anywhere else, Most a lot of places either, and they understand that. So um, so you can only get so many places, but uh, it does... no, you can only eat so much of that stuff all the time. Exactly, so, exactly. I get it. So, um, at any rate, um, where are you eating tonight? Uh,
0: well, I, I I'm feeling a lot tomorrow, better tomorrow. The, the next the next good spot. Well, no, you're t- going. Tonight's a good question. I was I'm feeling I was feeling a little. I went to bed with a headache last night. And I woke up with a headache, but I'm feeling a lot better. Uh, Is that so a hangover? I, I, no, it was wasn't. That's you? the thing. I, I I didn't even drink last night. I just felt really crappy. Um, I have my sense of smell though, like I said I, I get paranoid these days, but I'm feeling better So I think I will go out to dinner tonight I was—I uh, might be meeting up with a friend At Pink Rabbit, which is reopening in the Pearl uh, Cool Cocktail spot, weird Different cocktails, which I always appreciate And then kind of uh, American-Asian uh, Food And cool. then On Thursday, actually, I do want to talk about this so You asked me what I'm excited to eat Thursday, I'm going to be eating at Paley's Place
2: I'm there next Thursday. Okay, good. So leave some, don't eat everything. I I was thinking this morning, I wish I had asked Kimberly if I could get in on the last day, but that would have been a lot lot to ask. I'm
0: going to try to get, I'm going to be house-sitting in that neighborhood as well. So I'm going to hopefully try to, you know, everything's booked right now, but I'm going to see if I can't sneak in there for like a bar seat or something. Uh, Because that's a loss. That's just a, that's just a, almost, I still haven't quite wrapped my mind around that fact. Because to me... There's no more definitively Portland dining restaurant than Paley's Place. That just is what I think of when I think of Northwest, Portland dining. It's Vitaly Paley and Kimberly's Restaurant.
2: Yeah, but, the, but the, um, I feel ter- I, all of this together is just terrible. Uh, but they are a little older, and it's time for them to enjoy their lives. And I'm just – I can't assume, but right. I assume yeah. they have the resources now to actually retire. And I hope so. One thing oh, I definitely. know about people in the industry is they get addicted to it, and yep. they can't yeah. think outside that box. So yep. I'm hoping uh,
0: that's – but I do – That I is a relying on is that they are retiring. They're not just closing. They're moving on, which which – makes a lot of sense Uh, right so i understand
2: that they probably could have continued to go but the pandemic after closing
0: headwaters and and everything else downtown
2: everything else it caused them to really think about what was important so uh, i'm happy for them there is a story that i think would be cool and you can either go with it or reject it and it's fact-based do a, a story on the revenue of the 2019 revenue of the restaurants that are no longer open. And so, if you add that together, if you come up with those numbers of all Gorham's restaurants, of all Vitali's hotel restaurants, Atala, I don't know, but projected revenue for Messiah right before it opened, those sorts of things, I think that would be
0: crazy. So, is your uh, assumption that 2019 was already starting to hurt them and it was?
2: No, my assumption was that was a great year.
0: Oh, I, I think you might be right. I mean, they
2: opened a bunch of restaurants, right? You had so all those was... downtown
0: places were suddenly surging.
2: Right. So the benchmark would be this was the year before it happened, and now I none of saying, these right.
0: places are open. I mean, I I know. Right. Uh, you're right. I, I think yeah. a lot of those. I think a lot of that's true. Like.
2: And then related to that isn't just. That revenue went away for them, but just think of all the jobs and all the all the uh, employment income. However fair it was, sure, sure. But all of that that's gone. And from my perspective, and I, this is what, one of the heartbreaking things. We're heartbroken for the operators and the employees. But we'll never be able to have some of those unbelievable experiences again. We'll have to substitute new, yep. Play, yep. new experiences for those. Yep. And yep. so that just, if you think of the collective joy that people had in those restaurants and just think of generally, hey, let's go meet at such and such a place. You can't do that anymore. Nope. That to me is what is devastating beyond just the restaurant tours and knowing those folks and feeling bad for them, but just the industry as a whole. Yeah, the experiences are all gone. That's the
0: thing. Like we write all about this, and we write about the workers, like you were saying, and and everything else. But you you know, um, one of the things I, I, I think we try to talk about whenever we write about a restaurant closing are the experiences that we've had there and you know whether it was a dish or a drink or a time more importantly you know a combination of them and the time spent with somebody there and we try to capture that when we can but there's no way to you know fully represent you know how people felt yeah it is tough
2: and how they they feel that that's that that, that was their one last experience. I mean, we're both going yep. to Paley's place. We're looking for yep. the la- one last thing we can grasp onto before exactly. that's gone. Right. And, you know, I'm sure I'm forgetting some other places, but Same. let's just hope that Higgins can, that, that Greg Higgins can last for quite a while. Because, right, he's it, right, from from those days, from the 90s. Uh, I think. I may be missing someone. There's there's Papa Haydn that's been around for quite a while, too. So 1974,
0: I believe. You know, I worked at Papa Haydn for about five years.
2: Oh, nice. The so East I've gotten to know Michael this past year. So that was... Um, but yeah, that's kind I,
0: of... Um, that's sort of a similar era. It's that, I always feel like that was a little less chef-driven than places like Higgins or Paley's Place. Oh,
2: abso- absolutely. So that's why it came to mind right. afterwards. But still, for me, that was... A talk about memories of you know memories from experiences uh there was a time when i first moved to portland where every meal concluded with a, a trip to papa hayden right with, for coffee and, yeah
0: and, coffee and, cake. and maybe you would put some of bruce carey's restaurants under there with that that was a little later i feel like yeah but no those two and yeah so
2: are any of that but
0: is, does he still own any of those i don't know the exact details I, I know some of them are reopened i know clark lewis reopened uh, and twenty three Hoidas. Oh yep. Yep. Uh but yeah, you're right. I mean, we really are seeing sort of the closing of that those you know, institutions. Um I was going to use the term relic, but that that seems a little unflattering. I think institutions a little more accurate.
2: They are, and they were the they were the ones that I championed a lot. I mean, I even started. I wanted to start. I did a little bit. I for Portland Food Adventures, a classic series. That's a great idea. Which was yeah, and I did it for a little while, and then I learned (laughs) tickets didn't sell as quickly as they did to the new shiny object that you guys were people. You
0: you know. Well, luckily we have uh, Heather Anderson. Uh, you know, Heather. Yeah, I just ran into her last week. She she writes our classic map. She's our go-to for for updating, the, you know, the, the Portland Essential Institutions uh, rather than the Essential 38, you know, which we still I have some of the classics. Sorry? Has she updated that recently? I don't think she has. I don't know that she has. Yeah, she's probably waiting to see, to <laughs> yeah, to bit, see, to see, see what's still there. To see what's still there. I, mean, but we keep no, I,
2: I always thought... Man, people are always looking for that shiny new thing, but you know you're going to have a great meal at Paley's, and that deserves, and they have a hard time getting your attention at Eater, and so, and that's the big challenge, and you know, look at Andina now, they're, they have a fresh, it's all fresh and new um, at Andina, and they'll benefit from their reputation. And yeah, we do but... cover,
0: you know, Andy. And when it opened its its uh, cute pop up sort of restaurant outside, and, and mm-hmm. you know, when Higgins opened Piggins, we like to cover that kind right. of news.
2: But they have to do that. They right, can't right. just.
0: They can't, they just, can't just. Right.
2: That, that's a lot to open those things. It, it, in it is. It's going to be
0: difficult to uh, with a you know a website like ours, which updates constantly, and like you said, it's always about you know news and new things like that. Like we can have you on a classic map, but it's kind of hard to have much attention for it otherwise because our stories right. are going to be What's more a bad new against. item on the menu? What kind of attention is a, a few new items on the menu going right. to get in this, in this
2: in the Portland world of new shit constantly? Yeah, so uh, uh,
0: yeah, it's it's difficult. I, like uh, I guess. Pop-up dinners is, like, one of the few things that a restaurant like Higgins can do to, like, you know, have a news item or whatever.
2: Right. Do you know when I started – I don't know how familiar I did, but when I started my thing back in 2010, I had set my first seven events, which were – my events are always a little different. But my first seven got TV coverage from at least – two of the TV stations. Wow. Events. <laughs>
0: <laughs> TV coverage itself is to me very like, uh, you know, the people try to get that for restaurants all the time, but it's really difficult these days. But it's that, also
2: so. not necessarily the Nostrana audience. It might be in Nostrana, but it's not that we learned that right. those people watching Channel 12 at, at five o'clock Aren't really the people in Portland. They don't watch. They don't watch TV news. Yeah, so
0: that's true. But the,
2: well. but it does it does generate coverage. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, hey, shit. I have I've had a girlfriend for three years because I appeared on, KGW what, promoting awesome. my that's Italy awesome. trip. So that's awesome. who knew after all those years of online dating that it would take <laughs> all I knew me. It was a TV spot. Yeah. But besides, it would take me this face on TV to have that happen. <laughs> I always think that's crazy, and she's nuts, but she's, she, we're still going strong. Glad so. to hear
0: it. That's, that's great.
2: But it's kind of funny uh, to bring that full circle. Definitely. Anyway, we, I've kept you for way longer than I told you we would. I'd ask you
0: to be here. Well, we so. had a lot to talk about, didn't we? Yeah, I appreciate it. And um, I thank you, and we haven't caught up in a long time. I know. Hopefully I'll see you at an event someday again. That would be really nice.
2: Well, those were happening. We just went to Jeff Latham's thing last week, so it was really cool. Which one was that again? All of a sudden, he had a block party, uh, Nikki USA block party, and I ran into, you know, Philippe Boulot and oh, Ryan Roadhouse and Joy was there. I was talking so much. Oh, I didn't Joy's even great. Get to talk to Joy. Wait, and, is Philippe
0: still at Mac? Yeah. So he's that's still at Mac. that's another one of those. I, I would I would put that alongside Higgins as for like that era of kind of. Uh, oh, absolutely, and you know, Philippe himself.
2: He, right. He's take, he's taken his show on to Heathman, to Mac, and he's been so. And he also has an incredible cadre of
0: supporters, absolutely friends. People love him, and, he, and chefs that just have kind of come. You know, I mean, Paley himself, of course, um, and, and then you know, everyone who worked with him, kind of spreads out through the city. That that those influences.
2: Yeah, but so, anyway, this uh, is why
0: we went for so long because we keep doing things like this. We
2: can. Well, it's me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm. I can. No, track no it me right, too. I, I can track it right off the the uh, to bring it full circle to off the off ramp. Yeah, which you'll learn about soon.
0: So <laughs> hopefully, yeah, yeah. So here's That's the deal: when you get
2: your when you get your driver's license. Okay you got to come out here and visit. All right, that's uh, the
0: promise you know, I'm
2: in Manzanita. I can show you the updated Manzanita. And then I'll, and,
0: I'll just go from there to Astoria, see my dad. I can drive up and yeah, down the exactly. coast. Exactly.
2: We could do a little uh, go, we'll to go to uh, McGregor's. I'll give McGregor's Whiskey Bar a, a shout out here. Okay. I, okay. The place is pretty cool. They're here and in Cannon Beach. So, um,
0: yes. so we can go grab a drink there. Sounds perfect. Sounds lovely.
2: All right, man.
0: Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. My pleasure.